Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one. Awesome. You may be seated. Thank you so much. God is a good God. Most churches, this would be the, um, this would be the closing prayer. We've had, uh, we've had scripture. We've had worship. We've had a move of the Holy Ghost, and now we're just getting started. <laughs> and communion. So when he says a lot of churches are different, this one is different in the right way. Amen? And so we're excited what God is doing. I just wanted my wife to, uh, to greet you and just... Uh, Say whatever's on her heart for a moment, and then uh, we'll get into the Word. And Pastor Kirsten told me to make it quick tonight, so we'll make it quick and move right along. He's worked 100 hours. He's tired. And so um, we're going to help him out tonight, and it'll be okay. So anyway. Well, I just want to say thank you guys so much for being such an incredible church family and adopting us into into um, this this awesome um, thing that we're doing and just loving us when you don't even know us. You know, it's just such, such an incredible journey to have you guys by our side and encouraging us and praying over us and giving us word after word. And, and we, just, we just feel so blessed. We're leaving here so full. And so our testimony is your testimony, right? Because you've walked it through with us. And so as we journey through this, um, we are going to bring you right along with us because it's all of us in this, and we're so excited. And I just want to say thank you so much for being so awesome. So Awesome. And I'll just echo the story just for a moment. Um, a, lot of, a lot of prophetic words have been. We, uh, somebody... Uh, came to me in the lobby tonight and said I had a dream. Uh, and uh, it encouraged us. It, it, every, every word that you guys have spoke over us, every prayer that you've prayed for us, encourages us to go to the next season of our life. And uh, somebody was in the lobby and said, uh, I had a dream I'd like to share. And I said, this, okay, yeah, awesome. And, you know, I don't know you all that well. So when somebody says I have a dream, I never know what it's going to be. But hey, Let's see what happens. And I stup, it's a step of faith every time for, for both of us. And so they said, I had a dream, and uh, you were there, and there was a big bear. And I said, oh, gosh. She said, and you had a knife, and you cut its head off. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. At least it didn't cut my head off. I said, that's a good dream so far. She said, and I turned around, and she said, and I looked back, and she said, uh, back up a little bit, she said the bear was like mangled and like torn up and it was missing like fur and she, the, the bear that I cut the head off looked like it was like diseased. And she said, and I turned around and as you cut the head off and when I turned back around, the head was back on but the bear was full, full fur and looked healthy and a beautiful bear. And the bear is the symbol for California. And she said, and I really believe that that in my dream, God was saying that the bear, that the, the state that has been diseased, that we were going to go and chop the head off of that thing, and it was going to be restored. And so, thank you. And so we serve an awesome God. And if I could brag on the leadership and the, the vision of this house that comes from Maui, as the oil was poured on the head of Aaron and flowed down his beard, so does the oil of the vision of this house from Dr. Morocco and Pastor Colleen all the way down. And I am so honored to be able to be a part of a community and a family that has accepted us in, that has opened their arms and said, come on, we'll do this together. Uh, I, I don't know how many people in here are, live with uh, somebody other than a biological parent or was raised by somebody other than family. Um, I've always been raised by my biological mom and dad. And, and to step into a family that you look at a bunch of faces that go, you have a nice smile and you seem nice, but I don't know you. And in the course of less than three months, we feel like we could come over to your house and have dinner at any time and talk about life that we've had memories forever. And that doesn't just happen in any church. That happens in a church that loves people for real. And as my wife said, I just want to say thank you again for loving us and for 
uh, encouraging us. We've had so many. I, I, we could be here all night talking about prophetic words and dreams and visions that people have given us that we've had. And God is a faithful God. That's all I can say is he's faithful. And if you're at a place where you're waiting for your breakthrough, the last time I spoke here, we, talk about, we talked about a formula of how to get to our breakthrough and our double portion anointing. And I'm just going to tell you that um, he talked a little bit about my spiritual father, Pastor Gary Brothers. And I always remember, you know, we were there for quite a long time. Um, he's, we were actually there for 12 years uh, and uh, on staff for 10, but there for 12. And um, an incredible journey. And I always remember when I got there because we came from just a little bit of our history. We were born and raised in a little town called Hemet. Uh, I remember Cindy Jacobs, she was our, our house prophet that would come numerous times a year, and she renamed our city to He Met. And she said, because this is where He Met us, right here. And uh, she, would, she would constantly call it He Met. And uh, our, my pastor growing up for the first 30 years of my life, Pastor Bob Beckett, uh, was an incredible man of God, um, wrote a book called Commitment to Com- uh, Conquer, a transformation video. Um, and, and tons of prophets would come through. We were a church similar to this one. And um, man, I just had a, a I just had a moment. Wow. God just revealed something to me that I've been asking for a long time. And so I'll take you on my journey of how my head works for a moment, if I can. So we were I was raised in a church very similar to this one. We had numerous runners, just like Pastor Daniel. And we knew them by name and by song. (laughs) Amen. We just knew, uh uh-oh, this is that song. Get out the way. We'd back up a step. They're coming. I don't don't even need to look. (laughs) Ladies in high heels, running around. They'd make it happen. And we just knew. We had flags. We had people that would hook King of King banners on deep sea fishing poles. They would, the pole would bend. And every now and again, you'd feel, what was that? And I loved it sometimes. Until it got annoying, you know? Until you're like, oh, God. Stop. You know? And, uh, but always willing to go after what God had called ours, spiritual warfare, to kick the devil in the teeth. Just like the word that went forth this morning, you wouldn't hear at a typical church. You might go to a conference and hear it from somebody that would never preach it in a regular church service because they're scared of offending somebody or saying it the wrong way. But to go after the devil is a church that I want to be in. And I remember, I remember standing in a church service one time and, um, and without giving too much of my testimony and taking up too much time, I, w- I was raised a church kid for most part. But I got hurt by the church in a youth group when a youth leader took advantage of me at 14 years old. And the church that I loved and the God that I loved, I felt had failed me. And I began to blame myself, and I walked through a a period of my life where I just said, I can't do this anymore. And I would watch the church move and do things, and I became cynical. Out of an offense, I, I got a mindset that said, you're all fake, and you're all hypocrites. But the church was the real deal. I just had an offense that wouldn't let me see what God wanted me to see. And and I remember all the different speakers that we would have come to our church that now when I look back, I think I was with them. Really? I was they were they were here and I didn't recognize what they had. And and many times would mock them and think, y'all are crazy. And I remember growing up in this church where I watched great things happen. And I, I remember a service that I was sitting in. I slowly came back to God. I slowly started serving as the sound person and took on a, my first official role at the church was to 
help out in the uh, college ministry. And uh, I knew how to play four chords on the guitar at the time. And I couldn't strum and talk at the same time. So I would strum down and say, and God wants to come to here tonight and get a little rhythm going. And God just wants to love on us. And I wouldn't be able to strum and talk at the same time. It was super awkward. And I always felt like I was like 18 shades of red because I was so embarrassed just sitting there going, what am I doing? And uh, we made it through and slowly progressed up to be the worship pastor of that church. And I remember as I was moving my way up in ministry at that church and God was giving us incredible opportunity. I remember the pastor's wife getting on stage one day on a Sunday morning service and she came in in military fatigues, decked out in like army gear, camo, everything, boots, hat, everything. And she got up on that stage and she was a great preacher, exhorter. She stood there and said, I declare today, devil, I'm gonna, I'm coming after you. I'm gonna heal the sick. I'm gonna raise the dead. The things that, that Jesus did, he said, I'm gonna do greater. And she stood there in fatigues and she said, I'm in God's army today. And I was like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm joining. And then I watched her fight for her life as the enemy attacked her. And I kind of said, uh-oh, what happened? And for the next 15 years, she was in and out of the hospital, couldn't gain weight, sick all the time, never could, never felt right, still led worship, still preached like her life was, it was her last day. And I thought, it, it tested my faith and my relationship with God that do I really have the power to do this? And then a year ago, two years ago, she was in stage four cancer at uh, the major hospital down in, uh, in Texas, the cancer hospital, I forget the name of it. And they diagnosed her and said, you better just, we can't do anything else. We, if we did surgery, we would have to remove every organ out of your body. You're just done. And I thought, how does this happen? They sent out the prayer warriors all around the world begin to pray. Went back for her next visit. 100% cure. No cancer. No trace. And we, we left before she was diagnosed with cancer. We had already moved to Missouri. And we moved into a different system. We moved into a different structure of church. Pastor Gary loves God with all his heart. He's the most integrous man I've ever met in my life. He's one of the most knowledgeable people you'll ever meet about the Word of God. The man can sit on the front row and open up the Bible and preach a three-point sermon in about five minutes just from reading one scripture. His revelation of the Word is beyond belief. He brought a structure to our life that helped us to operate inside of a system that I'd never been a part of. We didn't have a lot of runners in our church. We didn't have a lot of flags and banners, but we had plenty of Jesus. God can operate in many different ways. And as Pastor Daniel said, it doesn't make one better or one worse. It's just different. And I remember walking away and still looking back at my old church in Hemet, thinking, man, they're crazy. I don't know if I ever want to go back there. And when I got up here and said that, God just put on my heart Ezekiel 47. And I brought this up in staff meeting a couple weeks ago. And I didn't know I was reading it. But it, it opens up in, a four, in Ezekiel 47. It says, I'm taking you back to the temple. And I always wondered why it started with that. Why did he have a vision where he had to go back to the temple? Does that mean he was away from it? Does that mean he walked away from what God gave him? Does that mean he wasn't in the place that he was supposed to be? And God just revealed that as we move to California, he's taking us back to the temple the place where the water will flow out. And as it goes out from the temple, it's going to be deep and people are going to be saved. And it's the place that I walked away from thinking, I don't know if that's where I want to be, but it's the, God, it's the thing that God put in me that he brought me to this church that said, this is your tribe. These are your people. This is where you belong. I'm taking you back to the temple. I just prophesied over myself. I've never done that before, but hallelujah. God's a good God.
Amen. That was free. Now we'll start with the real deal. Pastor Kirsten, what time you want to be done tonight? 7.30. You got dinner plans? Are you okay? Amen. I know that look. I mean, not a couple times. If you can't have fun at church, you're at the wrong church. God loves to laugh. He says laughter is a good medicine for the soul. And so if, if you get a religious spirit on you that says that you're not allowed to laugh or giggle or smile in church, you better look at yourself and say, I'm at the wrong place. Tonight I want to encourage your spirit that God is doing something new. And I want to, uh, I, I, was, I was saying in that story, which I forgot to say, that Pastor Gary is a, um, the most practical preacher that you'll ever hear. Every time he would preach or do a staff devotion or teach his staff, we would read a verse and he would say, well, that's really good, but how does that affect me today? How can I use that tomorrow? How do I apply that to my life? And it really began to help me look at a different revelation of the word of how I can apply this to my life. And sometimes we read the word and we think it's, it's so good, but it's hard for us to make it practical. And so today I want to take a story that's, that may, may or may not be common to you. Um, I love the, the book of Kings, Second Kings. I know we preached out of it the last time, but we're going to talk just a little bit more on it. And tonight I want to give you a practical way to do some things in your life. That will allow the blessings of God to come. That will allow him to pour out the blessings, as it says in Malachi, just a little bit before what we read. And so tonight in 2 Kings chapter 3, starting with verse 1, I'm going to read for a moment. And then I just want to break down this story for just a moment. And then we're going to finish the first time I ever preached at this church. Pastor Daniel is so gracious and allowed us to come up here and do a youth camp. And he said, why don't you come and bring the word on a Sunday night? And I was so nervous. I was so freaked out of my mind because you all know him as pastor, but I know him as the fivefold ministry. I know him as prophet, teacher, evangelist, apostle. I know him as something that, that a mentor, somebody that I want to be just as Elisha looked to Elijah. So I look to this great man of God. And I don't put him on a pedestal because God is number one. But I thank God every day that he brought this incredible couple into my life that can pull me on the journey. And so when he says, hey, you know, I, this is to me, this is a sacred place. If any pastor ever gives you the honor of coming behind their pulpit, anybody in here, if you ever have the chance to get up and lead prayer and somebody gives you a microphone behind a pulpit, you honor that place. That this is a place that they've been called to. And for them to hand off a microphone to somebody means everything. And so tonight, as I was saying, the first time that I ever preached here, I, I went to the new property. It had, just, it had just been graded. There was nothing on it. It was just piles of mess. And we took the church van. We are actually looking for moose. We didn't know what we were doing. We looked up moose calls on YouTube and held our phones out the window. <laughs> and we drove around. We're from Missouri, okay? We don't, and, 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 and we're youth pastors that it seemed like the right thing to do because the sun wasn't down and nobody could sleep. We said, let's go find some moose. And we found one. We did find one. We found two. So think we're crazy. You might want to try it sometime. Yeah. And so while we were driving around, God just really downloaded a, a, a story and a, and a scripture to me about honor. And we went on the property and we cut down a, a, a stick or a, a limb or a tree. I don't know what it was. It wasn't very big. It was, it's in his office right now. And we, we trimmed all the little branches off of it and we made it like a staff. And I remember coming here and teaching on, on guys like her that hold the Aaron and her who held Moses' arms up and allowed the, the army to fight and Joshua to, to win every time his arms were held up. And, and it was the most incredible moment in my life that I got to honor the man that, that, that was held in high regards and, and still is in my heart. 
that he's, he's a pastor, he's, he's the five-fold ministry, but he's my friend, and I love this family. And so prophetic, prophetic acts in my mind are something that says, God, you see my heart. It takes a heart moment, and it makes it a natural moment so you can see. And so tonight, as we walk through, we're going to do things just a little bit different. Uh, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years, and so illustrated sermons are always awesome to me. And so tonight, we're going to read just for a moment in 2 Kings 3, starting with verse 1. And if I mess up some of the names, so sorry. And I'm thinking that we might, for sake of time. Now we better start there. I'll read fast. Are you ready? Awesome. In the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Jehoram, yep, okay, Jerome, we'll call him Jerome, the son of Ahab became king over Israel in Samaria. And he reigned 12 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, Though not like his father and mother, he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He did not depart from it. Just a quick little free token. We're very quick to judge people that have exposed sin. What that says right there was, he was really quick to put away the sin that his father, outward sin that his, everybody knew about, but he still participated in secret. And so just because you come to church and you look right, it's what you do at home that, that matters. It's what you do when nobody's looking is what God pays attention to. And so it's really easy to say, yeah, my dad was a, an alcoholic and he was a drug addict and I don't do those things, at least not that anybody knows of. But when I'm at home, I do what I want. And so the little things that God gives us, verse 4. Now Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he had to deliver the king of Israel 100,000 lambs of wool uh, and the wool of 100,000 rams. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jerome marched out of Samaria at the time of, and mustered all of Israel. And he went... And he sent word to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to battle against Moab? And he said, I will go. I am as your people. My horses as your horses. Then he said, by which way shall we march? And he answered, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. And so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And when they had made a cretaceous march of seven days, there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here? Though whom may inquire of the Lord? Then one of the king of Israel's servants, I think it's funny that the three kings can't find a prophet, but a servant can Okay, moving on. And the servant answered, Elisha, the son of Saphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. This is where, I, this is where it gets real good right here. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, what, I, what do I have to do with you? Why don't you go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother? But the king of Israel said to him, No, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. I know we're reading a lot, but just stay with me. I would neither look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, Thus saith the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind or rain, but the stream bed 
Another word for the stream bed there, if you look at it, I don't know what you all reading in. I think the New King James says to dig ditches. Is that what's up there? Okay, awesome. So that word stream bed we'll use to dig ditches shall be filled with water so that you shall drink and your livestock and your animals. This is the light thing in the sight of the Lord. I think in the New King James it says this is a simple thing for the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall, uh, and uh, where are we at? And 19. And you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree and stop up every spring water. And the ruin... Every, and ruin every good piece of land with the stones. The next morning, about that time, the of, of offerings and the sacrifice. Behold, water came from the direction of Edom till the country was filled with water. Father, tonight, as we learn about your word, as we seek your face, Father, that you would come and have your way. In Jesus' name I pray. Quick summary. Three kings get together. One king is really upset. He's living in sin. He goes to the king that is righteous. His name is Jehoshaphat. And he says, hey, will you go with me into battle and fight? We all share this land. And I know we don't all get along, but we need to combine our efforts and we need to kill the people that are coming up against us. Jehoshaphat says, I'll go with you. They get the other king from Edom. And they all go and they march. And they march for seven days and figure out that they're going to die. And they get negative. Because they've been in a march for a little bit. They've been in the fight for a little bit. And they're trying to find this army. And they realize that there's no water for their animals. There's no water for their army. And they're going to be out in the middle of the desert. And they're going to die. And Jehoshaphat in the middle of it. Has a brilliant idea that says. Uh, I think we need the word of the Lord. I think we might have misstepped. We probably need to stop here, and is there anybody that can, that, that's around here that can bring the word of the Lord? Is there a prophet? And they're all sitting there with twiddling their thumbs going, uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I haven't seen anybody around here like that. And the servant looks at him and says, hey, Elisha's like right over there. You know, Elisha, the one that like served Elijah. The one that poured water over his hands. You know that one. The one that did all the miracles. Yeah, he, he has the word of the Lord. We should go to him. And so they go to Elisha. And he's like, oh, I'm not dealing with you knuckleheads. You're all living in sin. Why don't you go to your puppets and you ask them what, what we should do? Why don't you pull a couple strings and, and you make them tell you what you want because that's what you always do. And they look at him, and, Je and Jehoshaphat looks, and he's like, hey, you know, I'm on the straight and narrow. And he goes, yeah, I know. I honor you. I respect you. And he looks at the other two knuckleheads, and he says, hey, not for you guys, but for him. I'm going to give you the word of the Lord. And, I, and I, can, I can envision his frustration. He's standing there looking at him like, are you kidding me? I should just let you die. And he looks at them, and he's, uh, he might have snapped his fingers like, Bring me a musician. Like he just was feeling it at the time. Toby to the keys, you know, something like that. Toby's like, shut up. Maybe a little bit more honorable than that. But he screams out, send me a musician. And then some musician plays. He says, I have the word of the Lord. You're to go. You start digging ditches all over the land. Now, if, if, if I'm a king and I'm ready to go into battle, I want the word of the Lord to tell me, you're going to go in with your horses and chariots. You're going to slay them with swords. They're gonna be, there's going to be blood flying, but none of your people will die, and you'll take over the land. And the word of the Lord comes and says, Go dig ditches. What? And then it goes on to say, you won't see wind, you won't see rain, and you won't know where it comes from, but your ditches will be filled with water. 
that you'll have enough water for your animals, for your men. And this is a simple thing in the eyes of the Lord. And then he says, and you'll win the battle. The kings came and said, will we win the war? Should we go to battle? They didn't ask him, will they have water for their animals? They needed water, but they didn't tell Elisha that. They came and said, will we, will we win? Tell us, please, should we keep going? And Elisha was response with dig ditches and you'll have water. And that'll be the simple thing for God. And by the way, since you're asking, yeah, you'll win. And so they begin to dig ditches all across the land. Now, before I became, before I decided to follow the call of God into ministry, uh, my degree is in water science. I've drilled numerous wells throughout Southern California. Well drilling, and I did not realize what I was doing in the spiritual. I just knew what I was doing in the natural. And I had so much experience with drilling wells and aquifers and the, and the, the filtration of water that happens through the soil and through the rock bed, the things that happen, I, I can tell you really geek out on the periodic table about all the different things that are in your water. I was the official water boy. And so I realized what happens when they say we're digging a trench. You don't dig a trench to get a well. When you dig a trench now, now there's some places that have very shallow wells that are really, the, the water table is super, super shallow, and you can dig down. If you go down to the beach and you walk off of the ocean uh, a couple feet and you begin to dig a hole, you're going to go down just a bit and you're going to get water start filling your hole because there's water under the ground. Now you go into a different place in the world and, and you might have to dig down 100 feet. You go to the Middle East and to the desert, you're going to be digging a long way to find water. And so when these people are digging trenches, they're beginning to dig trenches in faith that we don't know if it's going to be filled by rain. We won't see the wind. We won't see any of it. But we know that if we do what the, the prophet of the Lord has said, if we hear the word of God and we are obedient and we follow it and we begin to do what he's asked us to do, then we'll see rain. We'll see water. In James it says that faith without works is dead. We're a people so often that say, I believe you, God, I'll do anything. But will you? Will you do the thing that makes no sense on how to get to what God's trying to give you? Will you go totally backwards and say, I have no idea why I'm driving this way or going here. I prayed for God to give me this. And you end up saying, that's not God. And then you come to Pastor Daniel and Pastor Karen and say, I don't know why my life's falling apart. I've done everything God's asked me to do. I asked him for a new house and <laughs> he hasn't given me anything. I, I mean, I, he told me to go over there, but I don't want to live in that area. And so I just, I knew that wasn't God. Really? You knew that wasn't God? Yeah, no, he wouldn't send me there. Really? He wouldn't send me to California. He, he didn't, he, he called me uh, three years ago. He was calling me to Texas. He was calling me to the beaches of South Carolina. He was calling me to the places that I said, God, this is where I need to go. And I was as useless as these three kings in the middle of the desert with no water. Saying, God, where, where am I supposed to go? Until I was willing to say, God, I'll do whatever you want. I will dig a ditch in the middle of California and I won't know how it's going to happen, but you're going to fill it with water. Whew. Proverbs 14, 23. This all hard work be, brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Hold on. I just want to share my heart for a minute. That we have an incredible opportunity for our family. And it's none other by the grace of God and the obedience of following a word. 
And I want to encourage you tonight. Some of you have been frustrated over prophetic words that you've gotten years ago. This is a prophetic house. We have prophetic conferences. And some of you can't wait to get the prophetic word. And then it builds frustration in your life because you say, God, what you said. A prophetic word is given for direction. And if the direction isn't on your roadmap, you need a new roadmap. We don't get to choose where God tells us to dig our ditches. We have to dig them regardless. I remember a story, uh, uh, something that happened in our family that changed the course of everything that we do. Um, years ago, I say years ago, has been three years now since the accident. Three years ago, my son was dating a, a girl that lived about four hours away. Long distance relationships, I wouldn't encourage them, but God's in the middle of it, so Hallelujah. She lived in Arkansas. We lived in Missouri. They met because her cousin lived with, was one of our friends that helped in ministry. And they met and they're like, oh, gosh, this is hallelujah. And we're like, oh, God, how are you going to see each other ever? We'll drive. We'll meet halfway. It's only two hours. I was like, oh, gosh. Okay. Love is blind. <laughs> Amen. If you're watching, I love you. And uh, one day, they, uh, Lecrae was coming to town. Our church was hosting a Lecrae concert, of all things. If you don't know who Lecrae is, he's a rapper. I do rap out here? Pastor Daniel does. I didn't know if anybody else did. Okay, all right, awesome. And so uh, Lecrae and Pastor Daniel like this. <laughs> Pastor Daniel's over here. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a rap game. It's on point when he's speaking about the bread. I sit on the front row and laugh more than anything else on, in the Sunday morning service because he's just like, in a good way. Because I'm like, who does this stuff? And I love it. I love it. She was coming to visit, come to a, they got backstage passes to meet and hang out with Lecrae. And she was coming to visit and she was going to hang out for a couple of days. And we had a plan and she was driving her car up from Arkansas and she, um, uh, her GPS took her onto a back road, and she was going about 60 miles an hour down a back road, a two-lane highway, and didn't realize that an intersection had a stop sign, and she blew a stop sign at the same time. There was another car coming at about 70 miles an hour going the other way. Hit her and flipped her car over, put her in a ditch. Her head went through the driver's side window and uh, put her into a coma. She was airlifted to our hospital in our town. And um, we had prayed and we believed, and why would that happen to us? Why would that happen to our son? God, you want to bless us. That doesn't happen to us. And we begin to, we begin to pray, and I'll never forget my son. Listen, I want to encourage you parents to raise up a child in the way they should go, because when they're old, they won't depart from it. And let me just add, when tragedy comes, they'll have a foundation to stand on. Be an example at home. Dads, be the priest of your home. Stand up and read the word. Let them pattern what you do. Be a great model so when tragedy comes, because it will come. The Bible doesn't say because you're a Christian, you're going to have an easy life. And so when tragedy comes, when things go out of order, they know where they stand. And I remember when the helicopter landed and they pulled her out and all we could see is blood. And they wouldn't let us come uh, probably from, uh, from me to Pastor Daniel. It was as close as we could come and they had security uh, police officers saying, stand back, stand back, you're not allowed to be here. And my son with tears in his eyes bawling. He looked at her and he pointed his finger and he said, you will live and you will not die. I declare it in the name of Jesus. And he is declaring the word of the Lord over this 19-year-old, 18-year-old girl that is dead. She had nothing left. They put her, they, they intubated her. They put a brain bolt in her to relieve the stress on her head. Her brain was swelling at an enormous rate. She wouldn't respond 
They tried to do different things to bring her out of it. Nothing. Every time they pulled and took her off life support, she would die. They said, after three days, if it's still like this, you all need to make a decision. Two days in, my, uh, my son and I were driving, and we were getting really just anxious, and I said, let's go on a drive, and we drove around. And tears in his eyes, he said, Dad, God told me. God told me she's going to live, and I believe him. And I said, I'm proud of you, son. He said, no, he told me there's not going to be one thing wrong with her, that she's going to wake up and have a headache, and that's it. I said, amen. And as we're driving, I said, listen, Jesus was raised on the third day. I said, God just said on the third day, he's going to raise her from the dead. And I said, so just get ready. I said, right now, let's just begin to pray. We were speaking in tongues. If anybody saw us on the freeway, they'd have thought that we were nuts. We looked like we were having the worst argument any father-son has ever had in their life. And he's going back and forth. We're pointing. They would have thought domestic violence is happening now. Pull him over. Call the child protection services. We're having a problem on the interstate. And we drove and we declared life and we spoke in tongues. We came back. And God doesn't just do things good. He does them better than that. And so we were excited about the third day coming. Because of the number three, God just decided to be God. And so at 3 a.m. on the third day, we got a phone call. And said she rose up, took her tube out and said, where's my mom? So now that you know the end of the story, let me tell you the trenches that were dug in the middle of that story. God told my son, you need to anoint every door and every doorway and every doctor in this hospital. He said, Dad, I need oil. I said, oh, I'll go get oil. Her family was raised Baptist, so us speaking in tongues was already like, we're not going to be best friends growing up, but that's cool. <laughs> then we bring oil to the hospital, and they're like, well, if she comes out of this, I don't know if you're dating anymore. He gets oil, and he begins to walk across, and he starts getting every doorway. He starts wiping it on the doors. Doctors would come in to give us a report, and he would look at him and say, thank you so much. <laughs> and he'd pat him on the shoulder, and he'd get every doctor just be like, thank you for being a great doctor. And he'd be patting people on the back, and anointing with oil. It was a, it was, she was in ICU. You're not allowed to do anything in there other than go in and just stare and then walk out. He was in there anointing her toes, anointing her fingers, wiping it on her forehead. It was uncomfortable for him. He's not that type of a kid. He loves, he loves God with all of his heart. He's a worshiper. He's awesome. Put him, in, put him in a pulpit, make him speak or preach in public, he's going to shut down probably. He's going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Make him pray and prophesy over people. Yes, he can, but it's not his strong suit. But God said, dig a ditch, and you won't see how I'm going to fill it. But in my time, when I'm ready, water will come, and it'll fill that trench. Sometimes we have to do the things that we don't want to do to get the result that we're asking God for. Sometimes we got to step out of our comfort zone. Pastor Daniel is so far out of his comfort zone because God said, build a church. Build a church. Well, we could build a little one. And then once we grow out of that one, we could build a bigger one because then we'd have more finances. And so that's the logical thing to do. The logical thing to do is just go up a little bit at a time. Let's get, a, let's get a, a one twice this size, not five times this size. You miss like eight steps. <laughs> but when God tells you to do something, you don't rationalize and say, God, but why? You say, God, I'm going to dig that trench. And when I dig the trench, I don't know where the money's coming from, but I don't, I don't see the wind and I don't see the rain, but I know that tomorrow when I wake up, the trench is going to be full. And if you can understand that in your life, 
that when you get a prophetic word, when you stand in the altar and you come, and we talked about laying on hands this morning, and you come and you get your hand, the hands laid on you, and a prophetic word goes over you, and you fall out in the spirit, and then you go home and go, I wonder what I'm supposed to do now. What are you supposed to do now? Faith without works is dead. You're supposed to activate your faith by doing something. Just a practical note. Elisha says, bring me a musician. If you're at a transition point in your life, music is crucial. What you listen to will affect your day. What you listen to will affect your life. I tell this to the kids all the time. There's two ways that the devil is trying to deceive a generation through their ears and through their eyes. Kids walk around with headphones in their ears all day long. Most of them you can talk to and have a conversation with, and if you're not looking at them, they don't even know what you said. And they can open their phone and see every evil, vile thing that's out there. Back in the day, you couldn't get it if you wanted to. Today, it's accessible to a nine-year-old. Nine out of ten students, not men, not, not boys, nine out of ten students before they graduate high school will have viewed pornography. Nine out of ten. Because the devil is deceiving a generation through an iPhone. Through the internet. Through the television. And let me just tell you, it starts with what you watch on your television. You can't blame your kid when you haven't been responsible. I feel like I can say whatever I want at this church. Hallelujah. Praise break. It work? Hallelujah. It works. I love this church. I'm not trying. I am not trying to harp on you. I'm trying to help you. I have kids that love Jesus. And I'm not perfect. But you have to understand what comes out of your radio, what comes out of your television affects their ears. You say, where are you? Why did you learn to talk like that? What, what, are you, what are you acting like that for? I don't know. What are you watching? I don't know. I just watch violent movies. I just like action th- thrillers. They just ah, they get me going. As your kid is coloring in their coloring book at the kitchen table, listening to every word. Pay attention. Because they're ready to deceive. The music will change your life. Elisha says, bring me a musician. Bring me a place of worship. Just as King Saul called for the harp to be played before he made a decision on anything. A place of worship is brought by music. Now there's many different ways of worship, but I'm talking about the way when you're going to make a decision, get a worship song that can take you to a place where it's just you and God in the Holy of Holies. Never make a decision out of haste, out of anxiety. Get to a place where you can turn on some music where you can hear the song that brings peace to your spirit and then begin to trust God. Begin to listen for his voice. And then you have to dig some ditches. Now listen, the verse ends, and I won't go back into it, I'll summarize it. After it gets all the way through there, before they had a breakthrough, before they got their trenches filled with water. Now listen, I'm not, I, I'm not here to, to take an offering to try to get you to give more money, but I want you to realize as guest speakers come, as opportunities arise, if you want breakthrough, it's very clear. It's very clear. It says that they, they brought a grain offering and the next morning their ditches were filled with water. You might say, well, what's a grain offering? I'm glad you asked. There's two type of offerings in the Old Testament. There's a burnt offering, which is a meat offering, which is a cooked offering, a blood sacrifice. And there was a grain offering. That was of your crops, of your, your first fruits, what was raised, wheat, barley, things like this. And I find it interesting that they brought a grain offering. Well, what does that represent? Well, if you look at the children of Israel, when they were leaving Egypt, scholars say that before they left the word says in Exodus 20, 
something, 9, 28, 29. It says that on their way out, they grabbed their, they grabbed their coats, they grabbed their, they grabbed their kids, they grabbed everything they could before they took the journey out into the wilderness. And scholars will say that they even grabbed some seed. So when they got to the promised land, they would have a crop to plant. And what they would do along the way, if you look in Amos 5, verse 2, it says that God asked them, why didn't you bring me sacrifice and grain offerings in the wilderness when you were there for 40 years? The children of Israel were asked to bring a grain offering, their seed. They were asked to bring it in a place where God was asking them to dig a ditch. What does that seed represent? It represents their savings account. It was their security blanket that when I get to where I want to go, I'll have enough. But God says, no, you give it to me and I'll supply your ditches with water that you'll have more than enough. Tonight, I want to encourage you. Whatever happens from here on out, prophecies are given around here all the time. Don't take that for granted. Don't get religious and get in a routine. Oh, I got a prophet. Oh, I can't even remember that prophet. I got so many words, I don't even remember them. Listen, God keeps record of all prophetic words. And he's waiting for you to be obedient on the one you got 10 years ago so he can release the others. I had to go back to the temple. I had to come back here. Listen, I didn't want to come to Alaska. Pastor Daniel called me the first time and my wife cried. I'm being honest with you. It meant I had to leave my oldest son and I had to leave my son that's 17 years old and a junior in high school. It meant that I had to transplant my family for a moment and they had to leave friends, try to get new ones and then move again and try to start all over. And as a dad, as a father, I was like, I don't know, I don't want to do that. And so he waited patiently with us, called him back. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is what we need to do. And I was like, okay, good. He's got a plan. This is awesome. I think you need to come to Alaska. And I was like, bro, I said no. I don't know what the problem is here. I don't want to go to Alaska. I love to come there and visit, but I don't want to come. I don't want to. We have 13 crates of luggage in a basement. I don't want to do that. And God like punched me in the heart. He was like, you dig the ditch where I called you to dig a ditch. You want to go to California? You want a church? Then you better dig the ditches where I call you to, t- where I call you to dig them so I can fill them with water where you're supposed to go. And I called him back and I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I was stupid. I just, my flesh was speaking, and I, I don't, you know, I don't. My flesh doesn't want to come, but my spirit knows I'm supposed to. And so we're going to be obedient. We're going to do what you ask and what Dr. Morocco has agreed on. Best decision of my life. I thought I had great faith until I moved here. We didn't just move here. We came into revival. We came into the fire of the Most High God that changed our lives forever. And I want to encourage you tonight to not take this place for granted. That you live in a place, in an opportunity where prophetic words go. The only thing that God's asking you to do is dig the ditch. Is do the thing. And if we do that, he'll answer our call. I don't know who's bringing the prop up here or if it's ready or somebody has to go get it, but that can happen at any time. Amen. There he goes. I don't know. Looks good to me. I want to finish with this. I want to show you tonight my heart exposed. 
I really just wanted to share my heart and say thank you so much and encourage you that if you dig a ditch, dreams are possible. If you dig the ditch, God will fill it with water. My wife and I are going to come, and I, I want to back up to a, something that I've never seen before until I read it today, and I never understood it. In verse number, hmm, let me find it, right here, in verse number 11, and Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom I may inquire of the Lord? Then one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here. Now listen to this. Who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And, and I read that and I was like, oh, he poured hands. Okay, awesome. And then I got into it and I studied it and I looked in a little bit. And in the Middle East back in the day, they ate with their hands. And what an armor bearer would do, what a servant would do, is after he was done eating, he would pour water over his hands. My wife and I are getting, and my daughters are getting ready to exit Alaska. And I've had more spiritual food here than I've ever had in my life. And today, as a church, I want to expose our hearts in front of you that as I pour water over the hands of the ones that I hold in high regard, who have loved us, who have mentored us, they've laughed with us, they've cried with us. They've been there. Today, I, wanna, I want them to understand. And if Dr. Morocco was here, he would be right on the other side of this table because I recognize how the oil flows. But the spiritual food that I receive here is because of what he gets over there. What, he, what happened to him 25 years ago. What Dr. Morocco continuously says, yes, go, go, go. I believe in your dream. I believe in that ditch. Dig it. Build the church. And so tonight, Pastor Daniel, Pastor Karen, my wife, if you guys will stand with me up here. just want to say thank you and that I love you with all my heart. Recognize this. If you don't honor the ones that lead you, if you don't serve the ones that lead you, you can't go deeper into things that God's called you. Elijah had a double portion ministry from Elijah. Now, maybe Elijah's ministry was louder and more vocalized and more talked about. But Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah. But it all started the day that farmer boy Elisha was called to go to a place that he didn't want to go. And he set down his ox and he set down his plow and he said, I'll follow you. And let me tell you, we had a really good plow where we were at. We had really good ground where we were at. This great man and woman of God came into our lives. And we dropped the plow. And we took a new plow. And as we get ready to transition to California, we love you guys. And today without making too much of a mess. Prophetically speaking, a prophetic manicure. If you think prophetic things are weird, get over it. This is, this is the supernatural. This is what we're supposed to operate in. Father, today as I wash the hands of my mentors, Father, in thankfulness of the food we've been given. Father, as we step up to an armor bearer to them, 
Father, as we come alongside in a journey called life, Father, I thank you today for divine opportunities. I thank you for the trenches that have been dug that nobody knows about. That, Father, in their lives, for their family, that you're filling them with water now. Father, for every person in this church, Father, that the heart that's exposed today will be the heart of the servants that sit in these chairs. Father, today. God, I thank you for our pastors. God, I thank you for the vision that they have, for the dreams that they dream. Father, I thank you for their family and an opportunity to serve. And Father, as a mighty army begins to dig ditches, Fathers, we have the word of the Lord to go to California to build a church in a Wasilla on a hill. Father, ditches have been dug, but Father, you've called us to do more. And Father, we don't expect things, but Father, we know that you're a God that loves us. And Father, we declare today that we don't see the rain, we don't see the wind, but Father, you're preparing enough water to feed every person here. Father, I thank you for life. Thank you for your awesome, awesome words that you give us. Rise our faith tonight, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.